Father, thank you that we can be here this morning. Thank you that we've gathered from all different places uh, to come and to worship. We come here today because we believe that you hold the secrets of life. And we want to know them. We want to learn how to truly live well. And so we thank you for this time that we have together. And thank you that we've got the wee bit back with us again today. It's so lovely to come into this room and hear the buzz and the chatter. And we pray that you be with us today as we worship and that we know you near. For we ask it in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation. morning which is taken from Luke's Gospel, Luke 6, and reading verses 32 to 36. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So we're, uh, we're following resource uh, on Sunday mornings in church at the minute, and I was looking ahead to see what was going to be the subject for uh, our first all-age worship, and it's a nice easy one, uh, love your enemies. It's great, it's easy, okay. I made an enemy last week. Boys and girls, what's an enemy? Who'd like to tell me what an enemy is? Carl, you think you know? Someone who's mean to someone else. That's a good way of putting it. Yes. Any other ways we can think about what an enemy is? What's an enemy? Right at the back, Emily, you think you know? Uh -huh. right. What I'm going to have to do, Emily, is get Mum to shout that in a big voice because it's hard to hear, Emily. Right, I'm just going to whisper to Mum that Mum's going to shout. Someone who's being mean. mean, yeah, absolutely. Someone who's being mean, yeah. So an enemy is someone you don't get on with. Someone you've had a clash with in some way. And as I say, I made an enemy last week. I didn't mean to, but I did. Um, I signed up for a course. I'm studying this coming week, and I'm doing a thing called Mental Health First Aid. And I wanted to do an online course. So I found a great online course, very professional website, Signed up for it, paid my money through PayPal, and I got an email back saying, yep, you've signed up, you've paid, there'll be another email coming with your registration details, fill that in, and that will allow you to access the course material. All very good. 
But the second email never came in, and I was looking and looking for it. And then I went back and I looked at the first email, and I started to scratch my head. Because it hadn't come from an institution, it had come from one individual email. And the font changed within the email, and the colours changed, and there was a spelling mistake or two in the email. And I started to think, oh dear, I wonder if I've been scammed. So I sent an email back to the guy and said, I haven't got your registration email. Can you send it to this church email address? And I waited for a day and nothing happened. So at that point, alarm bells are starting to go off because I've been scammed before and this is very like it. So I wrote a wee letter to PayPal and said, I think I've been scammed. I've had this email that looks a bit unprofessional and he's promised to send me more stuff and it's never arrived and I paid my money, so I just want you to know. What I didn't know was that the first thing PayPal do is send that to him. So I get back that same day an email from Rishi Pereira, who's the guy running the course. Hi Paul, my organisation is one of the best in the UK. You can see my website here, www.mentalhealthandlife.org. You can also see the Google reviews I have received after training over 1,000 mental health first aiders. You can also see my profile and recommendations under my name, Richie Pereira. The decision is yours, however, should you wish not to take the course. So it turns out that Richie is authentic. And the second email that he promised, which I thought had never arrived, was there in my spam folder all along. So it's going to be very interesting this week when I see Richie face to face. And it's going to be especially interesting if he's marking me on the <laughs> So I did apologise and explain, and he was, he was quite understanding. But that was an inadvertent entry I made there. And that wouldn't have happened if I'd just done one thing. If I'd just done one thing, one little thing. What we're going to do now, we're going to do an activity that's going to help you understand what that one thing would have been. Does anybody know what dingbats are? Have you done dingbats before? Right, Ali's going to put up a dingbat. A dingbat is a picture that turned into a, a, a well-known phrase or saying. So what we've got here in this one, we've got Luke, and then what's the next thing we've got? A sheep, yeah, it's a particular kind of sheep, it's a lady sheep. What's a lady sheep called Luke? You, and what are they doing at the last picture? Could be jumping, could be leaping. So it's Luke before you leap. Okay, get that right, what the next one? What could that be? Could be look backwards or take a backwards look. Yeah, good, right, you're getting the hang of this. I'm going to give you a sheet with a few of these on and I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes to see if you can work through them and see if you can work out what they mean. Now here's the thing, what have all of those thing that's got in common? About seeing, they're about eyes, aren't they? And um, if I had only used my eyes and if I'd only tried to look a little bit deeper with my story about Rishi Pereira, I would maybe have found out that he was legitimate before I had this time to PayPal. We've got to look at things a wee bit more deeply. We've got to use our eyes. What are some of the things that we 
to help us see more clearly. If we want to see things close up, if we want to see things far away, we need a little bit of help to see more clearly. I'm going to give you one minute in your tables to talk about that together. What are some of the things that we use to see more clearly? Okay, folks, you've had a wee bit of time, a wee bit of time to have a think about that. What are some of the things that we need to help us see more clearly, see further, see closer up? Carol, your hand was up first. Binoculars, excellent answer. Yes. And the green sweatshirt, yeah. Magnifying glass, brilliant answer. If you want to see things close up, magnifying glass is really good. Yes, Andy. Binoculars, yes. Emily. Glasses, yes, lots of us are wearing glasses here today to help us see better. Mary Kate's got her hand up. Looking, you're thinking about looking back as well as looking forward. Right, okay, yeah, looking back. And if you look up into the night sky, maybe you didn't know this, if you look, if you look up into the night sky, to the stars, you're looking back in time. Ask your mom and dad how that works, right, okay. Marcus. A telescope, brilliant answer, that's right, so binoculars, take you so far, if you want to see even further, a telescope's really good, Ellie, if you want. A microscope, I didn't even think you would know that word, well done Ellie, that's right, a microscope, lets you see things really, really closely, so there's lots of things that we can use to help us see better, to see more clearly, but here's the tricky question for today, Getting what Kate had read to us from the Bible earlier on, and us thinking about loving our enemies, how do we begin to see our enemies more clearly? How do we begin to see our enemies differently? That's a big challenge. I came across a wee poem a while ago that's called God Goggles. And I, I used to, I think, about a year ago in church, but I'm going to use it again today. There's a wee bit of love. It says, I am blind. This is someone talking to God. I am blind. You are seeing. My mind is dim. You know all things. So I ask that you would give me God goggles. So I can see through your eyes and hold your wisdom in my heart. And I think we need to put on God goggles if we're going to see our enemies the right way and see them through the lens of God's love for them. And that's why I wanted you boys and girls to hold on to a couple of things in your packs till now, till Paul does the boring talking bit, okay? Because there's two particular things in your packs that I want you to work on now. One is a set of goggles that you've got. Well, Andy's, Andy's got a head start there, well done. You've got a set of goggles there, and I would like you to decorate those goggles as brilliantly and as beautifully as you can. And those could be your God goggles, alright? We'll talk about those later. The other thing is a little bookmark that looks quite dull and boring. It's just black. But whenever you scrape it with a little scraper that's in your pack, it shows lots of beautiful colours underneath. And that reminds us that in every person we meet, there's a lot going on beneath the surface. Okay, so I want you to decorate that bookmark however you would like, and I would like you to colour in your God goggles, and 
you can just do anything else in the parks that you want to do for the next wee while. But I'm going to talk to the grown-ups now for a wee bit. And as we look at our enemies, we're really going to have to work hard to see them differently. We need help to see beyond our own natural inclinations. And I think there's two things this morning that can help us with that. Two things we need to remember. And the first is that God sees everybody's big picture. God sees and knows all the things that have shaped us into the people that we are. We were up in Glencoe last year, uh, the first time we were away with, with Polly uh, in that part of the world, and Rhoda's got family there, and they're dog lovers. So we went to see uh, Ken, who's one of the part, part of the family, and uh, Ken and Kim love dogs, and they were really keen to see Ollie. So we went to Ken's house, and got there, and Ollie was sniffing Ken's kind of dog through the fence, and the tails were wagging, and it was all great. And then we took Ollie in to the enclosure, and Ken's dog went for him. I actually got him round the neck, it was quite scary, so we had to pull them apart and Ken's dog had to be taken into the house and had to stay there for the duration of our visit. And we probably should have known better uh, so that the humans bear some of the blame. But that, that particular dog was a rescue dog. It had been rescued from Romania. And nobody's quite sure what happened in that dog's life, whether it was bad used by human beings, maybe its owners, or whether it had run wild with a pack and had to learn to be aggressive and had to learn to be territorial, we don't know. But something in that dog's upbringing had influenced the way that it dealt with other dogs and it was going to take a lot of love and training to, to work that out of it. I think it's just the same in some ways with people. I think nature and nurture play a big part in who we become and we don't really get a choice about either of those things. Many of you know that I worked in a part of Glasgow called Apostle Park before I came north to Belhelvy. Apostle was one of the most notorious places in Glasgow. It was a terribly difficult place to live. One of the saddest things I did when I was in Apostle was take a funeral for a young guy who was about my own age. His name was Raymond. And Raymond, along with a whole load of people in his generation, became addicted to heroin. Thanks to the ice cream vans that would go round the schemes in Glasgow, selling chalk ices, selling 99s, but also selling wee bags of heroin to get kids addicted in their mid-teens. And Raymond started on heroin when he was about 14 or 15. And he had 20 years of that before he eventually took his own life. And that world in Apostle Park, the deprivation, the, the hopelessness, and the violence was all he really knew growing up. That's the world that he swam in, the world he lived in. And in no small part, I'm sure that shaped who he became. But he wasn't innocent. He made some bad choices. But how would I have done if I grew up in his circumstances? How would you have done? There, but for the grace of God, do I. Let's bring that home for a wee minute and think about our own stories, about your own enemies, the ones who maybe anger you or annoy you or upset you or maybe even at times threaten you. My question this morning is how did they get like that? If they're lacking in patience or understanding or human empathy, what made them like that? 
Because I'll guarantee they weren't born that way. Nobody's born a racist, or a bully, or an addict, or a sociopath. So my question is, what forces have worked in their life to twist them so out of shape? God knows everybody's big picture. The good and the bad forces that act upon us to make us as we are. I know ultimately we're still responsible for the choices we make. I believe God takes those circumstances into account when he evaluates our living. As the psalmist says, he remembers that we are dust. Can we do the same for our enemies? Can we remember that behind whatever unpleasantness presents itself to us, there's a whole story we don't know which is going to make them how they are. I wonder if remembering that would help us a wee bit as we try to see them through the God goggles. God sees everybody's big picture. But looking even wider, he sees the world's big picture. Sin and redemption, brokenness and healing. And this is the story that we all live in. And this is where we begin to find a wee bit of common ground with the enemy. Because they're broken, but so are we. They're sinful, but so are we. We are all alike under sin, says the Apostle Paul. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone, says Jesus. So nobody's innocent. Nobody's perfect. That is the hard truth. But the gospel, the good news of God's love, doesn't begin with sin. That's Genesis 3. Genesis 1 begins with the overflowing of God's love in creation. Looking on everything he's made and calling it good. And blessing humanity uniquely by making them in his own image. And calling them very good. So that's where the story starts. With God making us in God's image. An image that gets broken and marred by the wrong things we do. But is still there all the same in every human being. So the truth of our being isn't just that we're sinners. It's that we're loved sinners. People on whom God has placed his love for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sin, sickness, and in health. And that applies, I believe, to all of us, not just some of us. And it might be hard for us to hear but our enemies are beloved of God too. And they also bear God's image. And God will stop at nothing, even the humiliation of the cross, to see that image restored in them and in us. And that's why we're told this morning, with holy wisdom that flies in the face of all common sense, to love our enemies just as God does. Love, unwarranted, gracious, determined love, changes things in ways that punishment or force never can. Whatever divides us as people, and there are many things that divide us, we have this in common. We are all of us loved sinners. And when we start to relate to one another from that place, that's when good things begin to happen and change begins 
Aha. I heard a story about a prison chaplain in Canada called Dean the other week. Now, if you've seen The Shawshank Redemption, and if you haven't, why not? Because it's a fantastic film. But if you've seen The Shawshank Redemption, you will know there are no guilty people in prison. No guilty people in prison. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault that they're in prison. Somebody drove me to it, or somebody made me do it, uh, or somebody put pressure on me, or my family didn't support me, or the Lord I had was rubbish, or their Lord was really good, and she twisted the facts to get me into prison. Folk rarely admit their guilt. And many of Dean's clergy colleagues spent a lot of the time trying to get people to admit their guilt and take responsibility for it, often with not much success. Dean decided he would try another tack. Instead of trying to hammer home the message that they were sinners, he wondered what would happen if he gave them the bigger picture that they were loved sinners. So in the middle of his chats with these inmates, he would drop in a line like, you're in, by the way. And what? You're in. You're in. What are you talking about? You are in. And they, they started to wonder if the chaplain was planning some kind of escape from the room. This is some, some confusion's going on. So, no, you're in. What do you mean I'm in? All this stuff about God's love and about what Jesus did for humanity. You are in. That's for you. And the guys at that point were saying, oh, hang on a minute. There's no way I can be in. You don't know what I've done. And then they would start talking about what they had done. They would start owning up to it in ways that they'd never owned up to it before. And there's a word for that. It's called confession. And so they would give the whole story of why they were in prison. And they, 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 they would get to the end of that. And they'd say, now can't you see that God can't love me after all of that? And Dean would say, why not? Why not? And whole conversations would open up about guilt and about sin and about restitution and about the nature of God's love. Lots of conversations. And in a short space of time, attendance at chapel and prison doubled. And people who'd been prisoners all their lives began to open up to this good news of God's love for them. And men came to faith because they finally got the message that their sin isn't the only thing that defines them. God's inclusive, radically forgiving love also defines them and can change them. They're sinners, yes, but they're also loved sinners. If you love only those who love you, what good is that to you, says Jesus? No. Love your enemies as your Father loves his enemies. Because that's the only way that they'll come to believe that there's a place for them too in God's big story of redemption. Love your enemies. Amen. Right, boys and girls, I am really keen to see what you have been doing. So I would like you to bring out your God goggles and I would like to bring out your bookmarks so we can have a wee look at them. Would you like to come out to the front and bring them out so we can see?
see your work? Brilliant, look at these lovely bookmarks. And if there's no black left to use at all, you've completely got it all. That's beautiful rainbow colours there. Lovely. Well done, boy. That's super. I think we should give them all a big round of applause. Now, can we all take three steps back without crashing into anything? That's great. Because Jenny's going to come up now and Jenny's going to lead us in a prayer. But in this prayer, there are actions to do. And I'm going to lead the boys and girls in the actions. Okay, so Jenny's going to read the prayer for us. Oh, thanks, I better keep the microphone. Jenny's going to read the prayer for us. And we're going to do the actions that Jenny reads. Okay, so you watch me and I'll try and give you the actions.
There's tea and coffee after the service. If you want to stay for a wee coffee, just remain seated where you are. If you need to leave, then please just do make your way out of the hall afterwards. But please stay if you can.
Now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.